you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd Listen up, fanboys. It's the Fanboy Planet Podcast. Hodgepodge edition with Derek McCaw. I think that that's how you should title this episode. Hodgepodge edition. I like it. This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com, and we are podcasting, or at least recording, these interstitials uh, on Monday, March 28th, about a week after Silicon Valley Comic Con. And uh, so what? why we're calling this the HodgePodge edition is we've got a lot of interviews from that event. Uh, but first, of course, podcast producer and stepping in as announcer tonight for Nate Costa. Rick Brett Snyder. And uh, we're doing this also HodgePodge by two different computers in two different locations in the Santa Clara Valley. Uh, it's exciting. High tech is wonderful. Uh, so as I said, we've got, uh, we've got mostly interviews uh, tonight. Uh, and in Hodgepodge, because it's not just Silicon Valley Comic Con, it's also one still from Gallifrey One, but someone who ended up being a guest of honor at Silicon Valley Comic Con. So um, let's do the interviews first, and then we can talk a little news of the week, or do you want to do it the other way around? Let's do news of the week and then the, the interviews. All right. Uh, I do want to say, first off, that uh, we will have a better uh, rundown of Silicon Valley Comic Con next week. Uh, we've got a couple of people that are interested in coming in and talking about it with us in kind of a roundtable situation, as well as probably, possibly, a roundtable discussion of the big movie of this past weekend, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Is there a colon in there or not? I, I can't remember. Uh, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't put it in the title because the posters are so uh, unclear uh, whether or not. And I also don't know why still, uh, because I have heard Warner Brothers executives and Zack Snyder say it's Batman versus Superman. Oh, really? Why is there not an S? Yeah. Although, you know, the S is for hope and there is no hope. So, um Anyway, we will be talking in depth about that next week because I think not everybody has had a chance to see it. I know that it, it as I took my son this weekend, it's it was very hard to get tickets. Although, despite setting a, a March box office record and being the largest opening in Warner Brothers history, uh, it also has the record for the largest drop off from Friday to Sunday in oh, ticket sales. My. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that was just out in Forbes this morning, and I think, what does that matter? the The proof is, you know, is going to be: does it have legs? There are people that like it. There are people that don't like it. As uh, one of my other critic friends pointed out, uh, that you know, part of the thing is that Zack Snyder has been on a defensive apology tour for so long with this film that some of us that are fans and reviewers were just angry. You know, it's like you're apologizing in advance or telling us why we should, why we're full of crap in advance. Then, you know, this must be crap. Um, 
I don't think it is. Seeing it twice now, it's better. But uh, it's, it's, you know, it's funny because the, the word from the executives, the executive statement from Warner Brothers was that um, they were seeing a lot of repeat viewing. No, I saw it twice and I promised my son. I said, we, we didn't get to see it in the big, big screen. I said, if you like this, the next time you're with me, we will go to see it in IMAX 3D. I don't have a problem with it. I liked it better a second time. It bears, once you know what's going on, it hangs together a little better. It's still kind of muddy, but that's, uh, in my opinion, that's all I'm going to okay. say there. Because as we, as you were pointing out before we started recording, unlike The Force Awakens, where people kept quiet for like a week online yeah. for spoilers, uh, you can go to sites. I try to be as spoiler free as possible, other than saying, "Yeah, you know, they fight." Um, but <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise! That was my beginning spoiler. But I mean, that's like seeing King Kong versus Godzilla, right? You know, they they better uh, Freddy versus Jason. They better. Um, I've seen a lot of sites that have that have spoiled things like crazy, and more so than trailers do. You know, that's the other yeah. thing I'd say is that trailers yeah. do give away. And so Too the much. only thing, the only thing we'll say, right. Well, and, and they, which they had to do, but you know, not just trailers, I would say, uh, uh toy lines <laughs> have been giving oh, yeah. away, um, because there is a, you know, there's a Jason Momoa action figure, uh, for Aquaman. And next week I will, I will give you the quote that my son had about, uh, about the action figure after seeing the movie. And, um, but another thing that they had to spoil was that Wonder Woman will appear in, in this film. Now, as you also had pointed out to me earlier, how much of that trailer is dominated by the appearance of Gal Gadot versus a lot of it? Yeah. A lot. Yeah, it, 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 I would say they probably gave just slightly less than equal time of the tri of the Trinity, as DC calls it, uh, between Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, and they definitely sold it on. Wonder Woman's going to make her big screen debut. And um, all told, her time is about eight minutes. But they're a good eight minutes. Unfortunately, it's out of two and a half hours. Yeah. Hey, and you, you saw that uh, DC's bringing back the Trinity title. Yes. Yeah. DC's bringing back the Trinity title. And they're also bringing back, I, I do want to, there's a little comics news, which uh, I'm working my way through rebirth. I can, the rebirth announcements. I watched it twice now, uh, but Oh, I'm trying to do like little pieces because people keep asking my opinion, what's worth it. But the one thing I want to say is Greg Rucka who wrote not, it was not a huge fan favorite run on wonder woman, but I honestly think it was one of the best. Uh, the problem is it, it you know, he, I mean, he redefined Wonder Woman as the, the woman, the character who was willing to do what it takes because she's a warrior and she will kill monsters. And she, she was the one way back in, I, I forget which subtitle of the crisis it was where she killed Maxwell Lord. And, oh uh, yeah. That and, was... and Greg Rucka had done like a two year run, which actually, despite what people say about sometimes and sometimes what we say about the planning DC has, he was leading to that action on wonder woman's part. And when you read it all and like you binge read his two years, it's, 
it absolutely is a one story in character development and growth leading up to that moment. And it's really well done. But what's really cool for me personally uh, on this Wonder Woman with Greg Rucka returning is that Liam Sharp, one of the founders of Madefire, who would, uh, is a beautiful artist and uh, did uh, Captain Stone for Madefire wow. and had done Man-Thing in the 90s, is the artist. Which means that essentially... In June, when that Wonder Woman comes out and everybody is absolutely excited for all the Wonder Woman content they can get because this movie, Batman v Superman, really should get them jazzed for the summer 2017 Wonder Woman solo film directed by Patty Snyder, um, that that vision of Wonder Woman is going to be Liam Sharp, who's a really cool guy who's been knocking around the business for a long time. California, he's not a California native because it's... Uh, he's from the UK, but he lives up, uh, you know, somewhere in Northern California in an undisclosed location, nowhere near the Brett Cave, and uh, that he's just a, a fantastic artist who has not quite had, to me, like the the fan adoration that a guy of his caliber should, and I, uh, which means people that don't know comics are going to know Liam Sharp's work. And if, and I, if I remember correctly. The Wonder Woman title is one of the ones they're doubling down on twice yes. monthly with two different alternating storylines. Basically, if you have a bat, an S, or a W in your character's name, <laughs> to that book, <laughs> those books will be twice a month. Because Batgirl and two ninety nine as well, and two ninety nine. So, but let's face it. Okay, it's like it's like paying six bucks for a double size issue. Yes, each month. yes. So uh, you're still you're still cutting into my uh, what <laughs> was I was once advised into my salty snacks money because you can't get me to stop buying the other books I like. But uh, anyway, um, so we are not going to go much deeper into Batman v Superman this week. We'll go into it next week because uh, you once once Rick has a chance to see it and and. I know, though, that like Troy Benson has asked, can I sit in and talk about it? Um, you know, there's some hardcore fans that want to talk. And the funny thing is, I think within the industry, almost everybody I know who's a comics professional loved the movie. Hmm. And almost everybody I know who is not have disliked the, had a problem. And I'm sort of in the middle going, can't we all get along? I guess I've got one foot in the industry. I feel really good that this was the bellwether. If I half liked the movie... I'm like Two-Face, which reminds me, you've got to look, if you haven't already, uh, I, I found this video online last night and put it on Fanboy Planet, Batlexander Manilton, the mashup of, of the Broadway hip-hop musical Hamilton and Batman. Uh, brilliant. You've got to check it out. The, the best mashup I think I may have ever seen. Um, and that's so linked off of Fanboy Planet. It is linked on Fanboy Planet, and it is hilarious. And uh, yeah, they actually uh, they, they uh, retweeted us themselves uh, today. So uh, this group, this sketch group, group is very excited, uh, and some really cool cool stuff from them. So cool. anyway, uh, I've got one other piece of movie news that I just had to share. If you hadn't, I got it from Shannon Eric Denton, who uh, is the editor on Spectrum the comic book that is telling the story within the story of Con Man, the Alan Tudyk series, uh, which is be, the comic is being written by Alan Tudyk and PJ Harsma, who we will be talking to a little later in this program. And, 
And that is that Shane Black, we recall that Shane Black has written a Doc Savage script. And he is the a writer-director of the upcoming film with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe called The Nice Guys. And in his pre, uh, pre-release publicity, he said that they, now that he's got The Nice Guys focused and hopefully that'll do well, the next thing he's going to turn his attention to is to go back to Doc Savage. That's Ooh. not the news. Oh. Is who he says is the person who is acceptable to him. And I I don't know where in the Fanboy Planet podcast history which episode you will find this, but I know that I made this prediction and called it. And that is that the only person now that he wants for Doc Savage is Dwayne Johnson. The Rock. Well, he's still he's Dwayne. He doesn't I don't know. Is he billing himself as the Rock again? I think I, think I don't think he can get away all, from the billing as I the think Rock. It's, He's officially The Rock when he's wrestling. Is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which he's not yes. in, when he's wrestling. He's just The Rock. Uh, yes. Okay. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson so was, is who Shane Black wants as Doc Savage. And I called this because I've said that's the, that's the guy who should. The only problem I see with it is I don't know that Dwayne Johnson can keep a twinkle and a smirk off of his face. Because I just don't think that Doc Savage would be a smirk. Hero. He wouldn't but, do that back over the shoulder smirk like Johnson does. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering if they would. I've never seen him grow out his hair, and I, I'm wondering if he might grow out his hair instead of doing a wig. Because I've seen him with hair though, with long hair. I mean, long enough to be combed back or styled oh i think it would be short if you if it, because they would probably go with the skull cap with the widow's peak thing right um I, yeah eh, he had i mean he didn't have much it was receding but uh but in the early days of the wwe uh he had hair oh. black hair yes no he yeah uh, i think he has hair in gridiron gang uh, i think we've just gotten so used to him uh he, no, I don't necessarily mean not shaved. I mean he's usually kept it super close cro- cropped, and I yes, no, I'd agree with that. But and I, I think saying. even the Bama rendition of it, he's got a thickness of hair on his head. It just comes down to the widow's peak in the front. Well, but the other thing I'd say is, most of the people that would go see Dwayne Johnson in the role, they don't have a vision of Doc Savage. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as I enjoy the Dynamite comics, I I, I don't think those are cracking ten thousand, you know, a month. I think the fandom, you know, it, it, we're dying out. So if <laughs> if a new look comes, which I mean, the Bama is different than than what uh, Baumhofer right was do is doing back on the Pulp magazine. So yeah, and uh, so. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you because I knew that you'd be uh, excited that there's a, allegedly movement. Uh, every yeah. every six, every five six years, we get alleged movement. I know, I know. It, it, it's but I think it's only been a year or two since Warner Brothers said because I, I think that's who has it. Yeah. And and the other thing I'd say is, uh, oh, you know, what's the there's a property? Oh. Uh, I was just saying this weekend, uh, because on Sunday I, I spent Easter sitting, <laughs> a couple hours at Easter sitting talking to Dave Akond, from, uh, uh, who used to be, was occasionally on the podcast a long, long time ago. Uh, he was at Elusive Comics and Games, and they had an Easter egg hunt. And I was saying 
that I think what really all this depends on is how well Tarzan does. Yeah, Tarzan's going to do great. Tarzan's going to be amazing. And you know who, what? Uh, no. I, Ale- Alexander Skarsgård could do uh, Doc as well. Except I don't, but the thing is, The Rock is the, is already the man of bronze. I, I, yeah. That's, uh, uh, but I, I don't think that Tarzan's a done deal. I want it to be. Yes. I'm not saying, you know, just because you and I will like it, and I'm, and we will, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that the public will be, but I hope they do. You know, I think that I, I'm hoping that Tarzan is, is big enough, but believe me, you know, there have been plenty of Tarzan projects that failed utterly. So I know that it's not a character that has the resonance. It's sort of like the Zorro thing, you know, one Zorro went, did well and the sequel tanked, although it was terrible in comparison, but you know, I, I don't think that the, the, the public, that the, the longevity of a film really has that much to do with its quality. It's does a character resonate to, or does a concept resonate with people? Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm hoping Tarzan does well. And if Tarzan does well, then every studio is going to look around and go, which pulp hero or, you know, which first half of the 20th century hero can we get the rights to? This it, this reminded me the the trailer we saw reminded me of the same kind of kinetic energy that the mummy had, and and it was still true to the characterization of the of the the source material, and I just you know well the trailer alone looks to me like it's the it's the best adaptation of Tarzan as much as every adaptation of Tarzan has yeah hit hit somewhere this is the most complete. Because I, you know, I was honestly a lot very, dis- you know, I, I like Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, which to me is probably the closest beforehand. Yeah. Uh, but it, there were still things about it. I, I think probably because I didn't like that essentially he turns his back on civilization at the end. Spoilers, but 30 years yes. old. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that, that there's clearly, there's no room for, he goes back to the apes and just, you know, um, and that's not Tarzan either, because people have forgotten how many, you know, 24 novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs. I think uh, there are 27. There were. I know. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's, wasn't there one that was kind of. There was one partial that got finished up. And we go, the, and the Dark Horse one, The Lost Adventure. Yeah. Uh, which was from his stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Anyway. So let's uh, let's get to what we've got on the uh, on the docket here, and I, so I first want to go back to Gallifrey One, which was the Doctor Who convention a month or so ago, uh, in which uh, the tenuous connection was they showed an episode of Star Trek Continues, which I ran into a producer of Star Trek Continues uh, at Silicon Valley Comic Con as well, and we want to point out they've got an Indiegogo campaign going for their next episode, uh, so. Uh, it's a, it's almost wrong to say fan film continuation. Um, I mean, they are fans. They are Hollywood professionals, everyone involved, including James Dewan's son, uh, plays Scotty. Um, one of the guys, and you know what, since I've never really watched the show, one of the guys from Mythbusters plays Spock, uh, and and the person that I interviewed uh, plays Kirk, executive produces this series, and co-writes many of the episodes. And the connection with uh, with Doctor Who at the Gallifrey One was the episode of the show called White Iris, which I think is episode five. Uh, 
features Colin Baker, the sixth doctor, in a guest role as Alien of the Week. And uh, so uh, I had to sit down after watching this series, this episode, which just gets Star Trek, the original series, note perfectly. And as I was talking to this producer, Vic Mignogna has maybe a passing resemblance to William Shatner. And he doesn't really sound like him, but somehow he embodies Kirk. And you watch these episodes and it's it's like watching Shatner, even though you know perfectly well it's not. It doesn't sound like him, it doesn't physically look like him that much, but he's got everything else down. He's it's, got he's got the, the Shatner swagger down. He's got the swagger. Uh and <laughs> there are some shots where it's just well, I've never exactly seen Shatner uh, react that way, but I've seen Shatner react that way. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it, and the lighting, and they've added grain to it. I mean, it looks like, oh, they just stumbled across these episodes that they never bothered to show on NBC, which, knowing what NBC did with Star Trek, makes perfect sense. Uh, so anyway, uh, this this uh, multi-talented, uh, who's also a voice actor, uh, anime voice actor, uh, best known for Full Metal Alchemist, uh, is Vic Mignogna. So we sat down in the green room at Gallifrey One in the was LAX Airport Marriott. Vic Mignogna. Ready. I'm sitting here at Gallifrey One. With, I'm sorry because I'm not sure where the G's go soft. Vic Mignogna. Both of them, yeah, actually. Vic Mignogna. Who you is... sound like you're from Italy when you say it that way, huh? Uh, thank you very much. Mignogna. I've offended at least one, one listener now by doing it. Either. All right. Uh, anyway, Vic uh, is the executive producer. Would we say? It's hard to say. Creator since three seasons existed. Yeah. Maybe recreator. I don't know. Of Star Trek Continues, which has been this online. It is, how many years is that? Have you been working on this? Off and on uh, three now? years. Three yeah. years. Literally, when I. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And doing three years. <laughs> There's excitement. That's in the room. Uh, Dr. McKenna over there. Uh, Dr. McKenna from the episode uh, on. Yeah, from the episode on crack cocaine. Because we're uh, actually sitting at a table with the writers of the Expanse. So, oh, very. Yeah, and very so there's cool. excitement happening with. There is a lot of excitement. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I, I'm excited. I'm gonna catch up on the show. It's been so, about. It's been about three years now, since our first episode with uh, with Star Trek continues. And so, I guess the first question is, what inspired you to do that? I mean, you had this whole anime voiceover career, right? Very big because you voice leading full novel. Full well, yeah, I've done over two hundred different animated series and video games over about seventeen or eighteen years. But when I was a little boy, I mean, it was all Star Trek all the time. I loved the original series so much. I was so inspired by it from a standpoint of making costumes and building props and even acting that I wanted to to do all of those things for the first time because of my love for the original series of Star Trek. So now fast forward 40 years and uh, I've spent the last 40 years developing skills and going to school and, and, and building experience with filmmaking and acting and props and sets and all of that. And so I put together a group of wonderful people and wanted to continue where the original series left off. <laughs> and so, and yeah, you've gotten five episodes in the can? That are Six. Six, Six and a half episodes are, are in the can. Okay. How many are available online? Five are available online. The sixth one will be premiered at the end of May at Megacon in Orlando. Okay. 
and seven will be premiered, I believe, in the fall, like September, October. Okay. So when you embarked upon this, got your friends together and said, let's do this, and you're going to make it look amazingly like the original series actually was. I mean, down there's lighting, there's fabrics, everything. Oh, yeah. Ex- exactly. We put film grain in, in, the, in the visual so that, so that it even looks as much like the original as possible. And uh, when you started this, you got there's a lot of uh, original cast members who are you at least have the blessing of, if not the out and out participation. Because wasn't the one with Walter Koenig? Well, Walter is a, really enjoys what we're doing. Nichelle really enjoys what we're doing, and I I think Bill would if he ever got a chance to see it. But Bill and I have become friends and know each other fairly well from doing Good. events together. And uh, and um, I I th- I think he would really enjoy the homage the the uh, the honor with which we pay tribute to the original series. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's very clearly taken very seriously. I mean, there was we watched the episode today, the White Iris. Series. Yes, White Iris. White Iris. White Iris. And um, as Colin Baker commented, there were a few laughs of recognition, but that was because of oh, the sure. special effects being well. Not only right that, down but but not only that, and. and there was humor in the original series of Star Trek. People, I don't know if people even forget, but there was a lot of humor, and especially in the character interactions. Like in one, I'll tell you where one la- big laugh was when when uh, when McCoy walks into sickbay to examine Kirk, and Kirk says, "What is it, the bones? What is it, bones? Is it the drug? Is it the is it the concussion?" And McCoy's like, "Give me a minute, will you?" Yeah. And people chuckled, and then. And then uh, Kirk says, well, I'm not crazy, Bones. And McCoy says, sure you are. That's why we like you. I mean, the banter between the characters, which is important to the writing, humor was very much a part of the original series. uh, And I want to compliment and ask about you so you befriended Shatter right, okay. <laughs> you have the physicality down the little shirt straightening the, there were a couple of things maybe it was camera work but there was just even you know the swagger right now I mean is that is that just growing up and watching those yeah, episodes obsessively it is, it is. It, it's, it's nothing intentional it's just loving him and loving the character that he created. And, so, and you started, rewrote, or at least created the story for this episode. So, yes. Um, and what you said in your panel, panel earlier today was that the goal was to be basically, you can't call it seasons four and five, but, but years four and five yes. of the five-year mission. Yes. Would you put that in canon with uh, the animated series? Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not... I watched the animated series, but I don't remember much of it. Um, we don't want to violate anything in the animated series, but we certainly um, we certainly respect the work that was done there. But our goal is to continue the fourth and the fifth year mission of the mission and and complete it. Mm-hmm. And actually leave the characters where they were when the motion picture picked them up. 
So what do you think? It's an ambitious plan. And so the question that has to go with that is, is three years to get seven episodes done. Well, you know, do we're going to timeline. Oh yeah, we do. We're going to make pieces? we're going to make thirteen episodes. Okay, cool. um, we're going to make thirteen episodes, and that guy right there has already done. Uh, that would be James Kerwin. James Kerwin has already done the numbers. He's run the numbers, and he tells me, and I believe him because anything he tells me, I believe that that they were already in year four of the five year mission when they were canceled. So a TV season does not make right, a year right. of the mission. In other words, we're going to take 13 episodes to finish four and year five. Okay. And our 13th, our 12th and 13th episodes will be a two-part series finale that never existed. And in that story, Kirk will give up the Enterprise and, and take a desk job. And... Spock will return to Vulcan to pursue the Kulinar, and McCoy will decide to hang up his his stethoscope and and leave the service altogether, so that we will we will create a final bridge between the original series and the motion picture from '77. And I think uh, that one of the things you're doing that maybe for whatever reason television executives putting limitations, I think just watching White Iris, you moved the character of Kirk forward so much further in one episode than I think in three years, honestly, with the depth that he'd been able to do. And I think even in the movies, I think by the films... Kirk is almost, and I say this with love and respect because I love the movies, I love the franchise, but they're all kind of characters caught in time. They're physically... Well, and I think that is a, I think that is a necessary evil, if, if I can say that. I think that's a necessity of making motion pictures to appeal to millions of people and make millions of tens of millions of dollars. See, that's, we aren't constrained by that. We don't have any goal of making a million dollars. We're not making a penny. So our goal is merely to serve Star Trek, to pay homage to the series, and to make the best stories with character relationships and themes and moral uh, questions and things like that, with no regard for, well, how many people is, is this going to appeal to? We don't have to appeal to 10 million people and sell... You know, two hundred, three hundred million dollars worth of plane, worth of theater tickets. We're we're making this for people that loved the original series, loved what made Star Trek Star Trek. Yeah, how much attention have you gotten from Paramount? And the question comes from: They just shut down another fan series, well, Axanar. Well, let me say this first of all: Paramount, Paramount is responsible for the theatrical rights of Star Trek. CBS is responsible for the television rights of Star Trek. Okay. Two divisions of the that's, same That's monitor. correct, but yes. they are the, but they are two different divisions. When you cross what is it, 65 minutes? When you cross 65 minutes, it is now theatrical. Oh yeah. If it's more than 65 minutes, it's considered theatrical. So that's the difference. Which that is, I don't think they've really Well, but but, but still, either, but but, yeah. but that, that's the that's the difference between theatrical and television. However, My understanding is that we are in very, very good standing with CBS because we have not violated any of the things related to CBS's license. CBS says, you can't sell merchandise. We don't. 
you can't profit. You can't pay yourself money. You can't pocket money from the fans. You can't profit from it. It's their IP, and we understand that. And and so a true labor of love. Oh, true. More than you know. Well, like, I'm guessing a lot. I've I've personally, I have personally put in a hundred and twenty thousand dollars of my own savings into this venture because it is my lifelong, my childhood dream to get to do this. I don't care about making a penny. I I want to do it because I love it, and uh, and in so much as any other production crosses those lines you know it's it's CBS's property they own it no matter what you may think no matter what your opinion is it really doesn't matter they own it all rights reserved means all rights reserved so they reserve the right to to handle their IP as they choose and we're going to pay tribute to it and we're going to follow the, the, the letter of the law I'll let you know something I've had offers from people from networks and productions and and big businesses who've wanted to broadcast or or uh, put our episodes out there and I've had to tell them no they offered us money good money and I've had to tell them no because we're not going to cross that one yeah, but when you move forward, uh, you know, once you finish, would you? Because obviously, you've got some great storytelling skills. I mean, that episode would have stood up. And I know many there were many writers credited because you're there with story too. Would you want to create your own series? I mean, I would, that ever been sure, happened? I would want to, and I would love for people to see what we're able to do with this and see it as a wow. These guys really know how to make a story, how to produce something. To build sets, to light, to cast, to to produce something from start to finish. See, it's one thing to talk about. Are we going to do this? We're going to do that, and then just never do it. Um, there have been a lot of grandiose promises made by other productions who've raised lots of money, and where is it? Like, what? It, where is it? So. I hope, hopefully, we've proven that we have the capacity with the production team that we've assembled to make something of quality. Um, if if other opportunities come from that, I know Lisa, Lisa Hansel and Tim Vitito have gotten some really wonderful opportunities to be hired as makeup people for other productions because of the quality of their skills. And other people in our production get opportunities to do things that they've demonstrated they're capable of doing. But you don't make money with Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's right. And I'm fine with that. But if other opportunities come from it, if somebody goes, oh, Vic Mignogna directed this and he wrote it, he's the executive producer, well, it sounds All like right. he might be able to do something like this. If, if another opportunity comes from that, I would welcome it. Great, great. And this can be found, all the episodes so far can be found at Star Trek Continues. Star Trek Continues.com. Click on Episodes, the Episodes tab, and you can watch all five of them for free. Uh, six is going to be released in May at Megacon. It'll be premiered at Megacon in Orlando, and then it'll go online immediately after that. And then uh, we're also doing a sneak preview at FedCon in Germany oh, okay. a few weeks earlier. And then Episode 7 will be premiered in the fall, probably September, October. And we're launching another crowdfunding campaign uh, in early March to okay. help us raise money to make uh, the next two or three episodes. Well, you have my card. 
Let me know when you're launching that crowdfunding campaign, and we'll do our best to publicize it. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great work, and thanks for your time. My pleasure. I know you got to eat, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Once again, there's an Indiegogo campaign for their next episode. So we encourage everybody to check it out, and I will be checking it out as well. So um, now we want to jump ahead to Silicon Valley Comic Con. Indeed. Uh, Probably the most interesting story out of Silicon Valley Comic Con that was not Steve Wozniak uh, starting a convention. No, I shouldn't say it's the most interesting story because you had the Back to the Future reunion and you had Stan Lee and you had William Shatner there and you had people standing in line for hours to get the autographs of all those people. Lines that went for miles. Uh, (laughs) Well, wasn't that on Saturday? We'll talk more about that next week, but. Wasn't it on Saturday that when they first opened the doors, it was out into the street? Oh, just yeah, to get it wrapped in? the building. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I wasn't able to go in the morning, and I'm kind of glad I didn't because that would have disheartened me. Um, you know, we shall see. It's growing pains. We'll, we'll talk, talk about, about, it, about yeah. that next week. Right. Uh, but one of the stories that we had ahead of time was that uh, they used Silicon Valley Comic Con as a launching space for a new studio called called Legion M Studios, which had a lovely car in the lobby of the, uh, of the, of the San it's Jose like Cadillac. Center. Cadillac with an M with the logo of the, of the studio on it. And what Legion M is, is, uh, is a, this is the first fan owned studio in which fans will have a piece and, and a, a bit of a say in the, I guess, genre projects that this group, that the, this organization is going to produce. Sound like that, people were actually own stock. Yes. A share of a, a literal share of the studio. Now, both these interviewees and people afterwards, they tried to explain this have explained, have tried to explain to me about how the sec changed things. And that, yes, this does make perfect sense in a financial investment play way. All I know is it's a, it's a really intriguing uh, concept. And they've tuned, uh, t- tuned. They've teamed up with Stupid Buddy Studios, which is the group that does uh, Seth Green's company that created uh, Robot Chicken. Uh, there's Titan something uh, and uh, and Super Mansion. There's there's one stop motion action figure TV series that's sort of like uh, parodies Voltron. That yeah, I I'm trying to remember. remember the name I've, of it. I've watched an episode of it. Yeah, but it, it didn't last very long. But that was on that was on Adult Swim. But they've got an interesting viewpoint. They they actually live animated a little demo thing there at, on Saturday at Silicon Valley Comic Con with uh, Stan Lee and Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd uh, dolls. And um, anyway, we got to sit down with the CEO and co-founder Paul Scanlon. And the president and co-founder, Jeff Anison, and they explained what this is all about to us. We're here at Silicon Valley Comic Con, the first official Silicon Valley Comic Con, and our first official interview is with the founders of Legion M Studios. Welcome, guys. Thank you. I'm Paul Scanlon, uh, co-founder and CEO of Legion M. 
I'm Jeff Anderson, the president and CEO, or sorry, the co-founder and president. <laughs> That's new. Yeah, he didn't hey. know about that, so uh, let's keep it's that a on the table. Yeah, we've got, <laughs> a, we've got an exclusive. <laughs> right, we've got an exclusive here. It's <laughs> president takes it's over. It's falling CEO. apart. God, it's like the Republican That's National fine. You Convention. You can be CEO. Yeah, okay. I'll take president. I don't care. It doesn't okay. matter. <laughs> do we want to keep that? <laughs> I do. Yeah, let's keep it. All right. So, all right. Uh, What's setting Legion M apart, aside from your debuting here, is you're the yep. first, how would you describe this best, the first ah. fan-owned entertainment company. I see a banner happily, you know, behind yeah, you behind telling me like that. It's like we're putting the words right, right. in your mouth. You right. are. <laughs> I can read. It's a um, puppet. I can read all the emails and uh, and have indeed put in a, a reservation to uh, to be one of the investors. Oh, so, excellent. Thank fantastic. you. So, uh, let's talk about that inspiration. What do you mean by a fan-owned entertainment company? So... Fan-owned entertainment, I mean, this is, you know, for the first time in history, the SEC has changed the rules, and everyone knows about crowdfunding, but now there's the opportunity for equity crowdfunding. Equity crowdfunding is not like crowdfunding at all. You actually own a share of the company, so we go through SEC compliance and everything. Our goal is to, to bring fans into the process, open the gates to Hollywood, allow them to come in own a piece of the company, get behind the scenes, have a voice in the content and the creation of that content. When we bring content to market, help us make them successful because they're the fans that are not only emotionally involved but also financially involved in in the project. So when you say, how much of a say are fans going to have once they've got a share? Uh, Well, you're going to have a say, right? I mean, that's uh, the creators that we're working with are creators that want fan engagement, right? For them, it's amazing to be able to put stuff out and get feedback on it or to, you know, maybe vote here and there. But at the end of the day, great art isn't made by committee, right? And so, Absolutely. That's why, uh, that's why we, I'm questioning. Yes. So our, what we do is we're empowering... Should we wait a No, it's happening. Okay. okay. You're coming through fine. Okay. So... Um, uh, <clears throat> no one so, wants to hear you anyway. <laughs> So uh, uh, great art is not made by committee. And so what we're doing is we're working to empower these creators and find fun and innovative ways that we can allow the fans involved. So, I mean, at the very least, we can take you along for the ride, right? You can see from the very get-go what it's like going through the process from inception to reality with one, with a film or television project, which is really cool with these top-tier creators. Um, but, uh, I mean, a great example is when we go over to Stupid Buddy's Chicken or Stupid Buddy Studios, the guys behind Robot Chicken, and we sit down with Seth and Eric and Harv and um, Matt, they've got literally dozens of treatments and little two-minute videos of stuff, explorations that they've done. And that's the sort of thing that we can put out in front of the fans and say, what do you guys think of this? You know, let's let, let's see what, let's let the cream rise to the top. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like a democracy where people vote, but that fan feedback is incredibly powerful for the creator um, to take the next step. And well, it's also, it's also, I mean, just to add to that is, you know, going behind the scenes you know we'll do live live streams from the set we'll have conference calls with the director and the talent i mean we're the the fans will be engaged periodically throughout the process and and as we build up momentum we'll have multiple projects so there'll almost always be something that you can be participating in or learning about and experiencing 
Um, and, you know, and there will be opportunities where we will put out a vote. It won't be like to determine a plot line or to, <laughs> you know, you know, things that we want the creators to, you know, we're, we want fans that want to support the creators, right? So we want to empower them. Plus, we don't want to spoil the movie for you. Right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, although the studios do a fine job uh, of that anyway. A trailer will do that. But then that brings the question you said, like, you know, Stupid Buddy, which is one of your allies here, partners, has, you know, treatments for like a, a two-minute film. I mean, what's going to separate this above, say, some YouTube studios or what they call YouTube Red? Now? Yeah. Well, so I think what Jeff was talking about is these are like a two-minute sort of trailer for a full season ah, or so for a, a feature-length movie. Exactly, exactly. Yes. You know, but, 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 but web series is not, you know, out of the picture for us. I mean, that might be something that we would also do, right? So we want a diversified slate. We want to participate in all the different sort of modalities. We're not limiting ourselves to any one distribution. We want to do feature-length movies that we can bring to, you know, with theatrical release. We want to do TV shows that may, you know, go, you know, directly to a digital distributor or be picked up by a cable man. You know, I mean, we're... and But we might also have, you know, smaller budget projects that it's justified to go straight to web and to go to YouTube or to go to one of the MCNs or, you know, directly to mobile distribution. So, you know, we're, we're looking across the board again. We want to be diversified. So one of the things to be, you know, to keep kind of a jaundiced eye about your initial releases, we know a couple of the partners, but content is king. Yeah. So if it's fan owned, but, uh, for lack of a better phrase there, but what is the content actually is? You know, I think people look at this sort of thing and go, well, do you have a deal with... Stupid Buddy's a, a, got a great track record, but it's all original stuff. Fans are maybe looking for something that they are familiar with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we, uh, we're, not, um, <clears throat> we're not taking investment right now. Right. right. So when you go to our website, you can reserve a spot in line. Right. I hope I did not misinterpret... Mis- oh, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Mischaracterize no, no, no. that. No, yes, um, I have reserved. Um, and a that's spot. and that's. Um, uh, but part of that reason is because of the fact that we know that fans are going to want more details, right? You know mm-hmm. about the company and about the projects and all that sort of stuff. And so later this year, you know, we'll start releasing more information about the projects that are going to be on our slates. And so uh, the people that are reserving a spot will be the first to know. And you know, at that point, you can take a look at it and. and uh, see what you think. I will question this as vaguely as I can. Are there possibly specific IPs that people will be familiar with? You know, I mean, for like, if you look at what Hollywood is has their trend, right? Is that there's a lot of retreads of existing franchises. This right. is because they're proven, right? And they have a fan base. I mean, the the best is that you know to combine Batman and Superman together. It's, you got two fans. It's proven. How can you go wrong, right? And well, these we'll are find out next week. <laughs> exactly. But this is I mean this is the thinking that's that's driving Hollywood, right? So it's it's risk averse. And I'm okay with that. I yeah. mean, uh, well, we, we Well, well hear me out on this. So yeah. so two things. First, there's nothing stopping us from from participating in some an existing franchise, right? So, you know, we started with the creative allies that we have today, but we're already having discussions with heavy hitters okay so you know the the whole concept of having fans engaged from the very get-go that's not unique just to you know seth and his team i mean the whole world agrees that it's a good idea but but the other thing is we we do believe 
that there's opportunity to finally create new franchises, right? Because, okay. you know, and this is one of the things that, like, if we, if we have an impact on Hollywood, that might be something that we could we could lay claim to, right? Is that, mm-hmm. look, we had a fan base. We, we, we got behind creators that were proven or even, unpro- like, you know, up-and-coming creators to create the next Star Wars franchise and not just remake and, and repurpose, you know, an existing franchise. And the reason the studios don't do that is because anything that doesn't have a fan base has more risk to it. And if we can bring projects to market that have a fan base, then we can, look, no one's going to reduce the risk or eliminate the risk, but we can reduce it and give ourselves more opportunity to be creative and do new things. Well, I've just seen on uh, from my actor friends on Facebook uh, a meme going around asking, we stop, hashtag stop Twitter casting. For example, yep. talk about that risk. Yep. How I know a lot of actors that go in for auditions and they say, "Well, what's your what's your Twitter following?" Yes, yep. yeah, is yep. worth it, you know. So there's that yep. question. But the flip side, I was thinking with IPs is when we ran your press release, one of the things that occurred to me is like creators like Brian K. Vaughn, not to I'm looking for a flash in your eyes. Am I right? <laughs> no, but with with a book like Saga, which is there is no way that a major studio because you can't pigeonhole what that is. But if, if you were dealing with, and I'm just spitballing, uh, you know, the, if you were dealing with a creator like that who already uh, who owns his own property yeah. completely yes. that does have a fan base, but maybe it's not it's not the size of a Star Wars fan base. Yes. But you can make something truer that would be more pleasing to fans because you're on a smaller scale. Yeah, and I know the landscape is shifting. Yeah. The yes. studio, I know the studios are like, well, they've got to hit that that one billion, or they feel like they've a failure. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that you know, their economics are different from ours. You know, and then and there's nothing stopping us from co-producing projects with with other partners well, as well. Too, yeah. But I think to your point, being a fan-owned studio gives us tremendous latitude. And I think there's a lot of stuff that doesn't ROI out for a major studio that could very well ROI out for a studio like us. And a lot of those fan-favorite sort of films. And again, there's nothing that we can talk about, but you know, I understand well, where you're coming from. One day you will. And hopefully uh, someday yeah. soon yeah. we'll be able Go to... Ahead, say it. <laughs> just just whisper a name, mouth it. <laughs> we can record it now and hold it out. <laughs> yeah, true. Exactly. That's true. Save you a lot of time. Exactly. <laughs> uh, our PR person's listening. Oh, oh, yeah, I know. Wow. Look at her subtly yeah, pretending like, to play on the hiding over here. I What you don't realize is that that you know it looks like Twitter. It's actually an app that gives us electroshocks whenever we right. say yeah. the wrong thing. And that's the first product <laughs> right. from the studios. Yeah, that's studios. It. Yep. the personal electroshock device. Um, <laughs> the Twitter shocker. So. so <laughs> Let me ask that then. It, 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 with, with fans getting able, to, being able to vote, are you going to throw the things? Is like, well, say I have committed a share and say, well, I want, I want to back this project. Someone else might want to be back this project. Can I say, I like, we wish we could do with our tax funds. Um, <laughs> yeah. This goes towards. I'm just going to say it again. Saga. I mean, it's not really happening, <laughs> right. but you know, uh, I'm really going to start something smaller. Uh, We're starting rumors. I know. It's okay. That's what I do. Rumors um, are good. You know, uh, say I would want to back that project, or I, I, I like that creator. Yeah. I, I like Seth Green's work, so I would say yep. yes. I would. That one we can say publicly, right? Yeah. yeah. I want to back Seth Green's project. Yeah. But I don't want to back this one, but somebody else won't want to. Are you splitting funds that way? Well, how is that? So it starts to get tricky because we are an SEC-regulated company, Mm -hmm. right? So this is not Wild West sort of stuff. And so 
you know, we're, we're very aware that some people have that sentiment. And so I, what I'd say is that we're evaluating different ways. We want to take different people's feedback. But there's also an important point is that because this is not a Kickstarter sort of project where uh, people's rewards are solely like, the you know, the, right. the rewards for the project. I'm not going to have to paying is the thing. It's not like a, right. no, no, no. yeah, you, like a, a movie you're gonna, Ponzi scheme. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly. going to own a share. And our value is to make that sh- the value of that share go up. And Hollywood is a hit-driven business, and so you know it doesn't matter what you know. The best IP, it, it can it can flop, you know, because the director doesn't work, or the actor and director don't have the right chemistry, or something like mm-hmm. that. So, the way that you run a responsible business and make money in content is by having a diverse slate of projects. So we think that it, it's actually doing everybody a huge service. The fact that we've got, you know this creator over here, this creator over here, this genre, you know, these sorts of opportunities. And like I said, you can get as involved as you want in the projects that you want, but our job is to make the value of that share go up, and, okay. and, and that's the where the diversified slate is really important. Okay. Well, hey, what do you think, um, because it's a diversified slate, it's a diversified list of projects, we've talked about that. Um, why, uh, you know, that'd be uh, an odd question. Let's give your creds. Why should we trust you? <laughs> well, we're trustworthy guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I look see it in your eyes. Yeah. I, you look like fans. Trust me. No, no. But I mean, you know. no. It's a great question. I mean, look, Jeff and I have a track record. I mean, we've won Emmys for our for our contribution and and kind of pioneering the whole you know um, OTT television space. I mean, that's a big. We we played a role. We were the original pioneers. We were laughed out of most of the studios what, 15 years ago talking about people watching content on their on their phones and tablets and and PCs and the you know most of the industry said that's the stupidest idea we've ever heard. And we said well we believe in it we're going to go make it happen and ultimately slowly but surely people came on board with us and if you fast forward to today it's a massive multi-billion dollar industry, right? And actually there's it's overtaking, you know, a lot of the the, the viewing in the living room. So you know, that's our background, and then we're partnering with top-tier, you know, creative allies like Seth Green and, and those guys. I mean, we, uh, we have a very high bar for the people that we want to work with, um, and, you know, we also want to be totally transparent. I mean, it, for us, the, the fan engagement and their sort of, you know, um, commitment to the company is essential. Right, so they need to trust us. They need to feel like we're we're acting in their best interest, um, because we're we're you know SEC compliant. There'll be you know um, audited uh, audited um, financials and um, SEC disclosures, SEC disclosures, bad actor bad checks. Actor checks. I mean, there'll stuff. be all those things. So so the public will be you know the, they'll be protected um, to a certain degree. But then you know I think as 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 the fan gets fans get to know Jeff and I, I think. You know, they'll... they'll Will there be continual open investment? That's the thing. If this starts getting rolling, if somebody listens to this podcast now, six months from now, they see a Legion M product and say, wait a minute, I remember hearing about that. Will they still be able to get a share? Yes. So the the shares will trade on a secondary market. And so when you buy your share of Legion M... Um, like I said, our job is to make it go up, and it's either going to go up flat or down, yeah. right? But, I mean, if at some point you decide to move on, you know, you can sell your share. So there will be a secondary Never. market. No, but hopefully yeah. the share price will be higher, right? So when we first offer the shares, that'll 
hopefully be the lowest price you can get in at, right? Yeah. And we're, as we we're, grow, we're specifically architecting it to give the best deal, you know, to the early people. I mean, it's kind of like yeah. when you invest, when you're the first ones in on, you know, Facebook, right? There's the highest risk, right? And so, you know, you can lose your money. And, you know, I mean, stocks go up, stocks go down. We're proven, we got a proven track record. We're working with people that have a proven track record. And suddenly this became the Motley Fool podcast. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah, do yeah, not yeah. talk finance. Let's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, Let's not go down that situation. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to just trust figures. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I do. I, yeah, I'm actually right, really excited yeah. by what you guys are, are doing, yeah. and, I, and I like the breaking into new delivery models as well. I mean, because, as you say, 15 years ago, and I was one of those people, I have. Yeah dragged on every technology. I don't know why I'm going to need email. That's a waste of time. Oh, my God. Twitter? Uh, okay. And I've driven children off of it because I'm too old. But uh, but I know it's changing. So yeah. it's, it's exciting to see you guys on the edge of this and, and really looking forward to what we hear from Legion M. Let's say, when do you think the, ne- the the first really solid announcement are you are you aiming at? I mean, I realize things are still a little bit of vapor. You're trying to yep. work things out. But when can we look forward to hearing something really concrete? As far as a project goes? Yeah. It'll be closer to when we actually, uh, th- later this summer, when we convert okay. to the actual fundraising, from going from taking reservations to actually converting to, to the financing. Uh, we'll be announcing our projects. And, but again, the reservation holders are going to be the first to right, know about right. these projects. And we'll be seeing you at Comic-Con. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. In San Diego. You can't not sure. be yeah, in San Diego yeah. There's right There's a six-year waiting list to get into the show. We so, uh, will be there in some way, <laughs> shape, or form. we will be there form. somehow, yeah. yeah exactly. The caddy will be here. Marilyn will be here. Okay. You, saw, you saw the caddy, right? Yes. In yeah. the lobby, yeah. So we will, uh, okay, we'll look forward to you. We'll try to find you in San Diego. We'll awesome. Even, well, we'll hook up ahead of time. We'll catch up. Yeah, perfect. We'll come back around. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. No, it was great. Thank you. That was a lot of So you can check that out at legionmstudios.com. The next interview we got was, I this was just great. I mean, I, I learned something because I've been enjoying. I assume you've seen Con Man. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I backed I, it. You backed Con Man. Uh, I confess that all I did to back Con Man was run a huge piece on Fanboy Planet and get people excited about it. Uh, but I did pay for Con Man so that I could watch it because uh, it's most recently released on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Uh, and I think it's, did it go on to Amazon Prime? Not Amazon Prime, but I think it might have gone into Amazon. Uh, um, I haven't seen it there. But, but and it was, of course, on Vimeo uh, record setting. So the executive producer of Con Man was also working with series star Alan Tudyk to write the comic book for Free Comic Book Day Spectrum, which is the, kind of the show within the show of Con Man. Uh, PJ Harshma uh took some time away from the con man and spectrum booth to tell us about the comic, tell us about the genesis of the con man project and what else is going on with it. We shall find out. We're here at Silicon Valley comic con. I still have this urge to say big wow comic fest. We're at Silicon Valley. They're the same voiceover. I I know. (laughs) We haven't taken over the, the loudspeaker as happened last year. We're at Silicon Valley Comic Con, and we are here with PJ Harsma, who is the executive producer, co-writer. What other title do you want to give yourself? I don't know, a janitor. Yeah, okay, cross services uh, for the comic book spectrum, which is coming out on Free Comic Book Day is the first issue. Yep. 
Is that complete? Like the, the whole first issue is free, or is it an extra? No, we did a we did the whole first issue. It's 30, 32 page issue. It's a big one. It's got a lot of little extras. Okay. And we went all out on it. Excellent. And he, and also of course you've executive produced it. As you said, worked on Spectrum is the show within the show of the phenomenally successful web series Con Man. Yep. Starring Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion. Yes. So let's talk about how you got involved in this in the first place. Way back when. You know, it was, um, Alan had come to me and at first he had asked about uh, the Softwire series, the books I had written, and asked if he could use the world. He had something he was thinking about. Could he use the world? And I said, buddy, sure, absolutely, whatever you want. And then after he had got comment to a certain point, he was asking me if to come and make it with him. And uh, I, I said, send me the script. And uh, he sent me the script and it was the funniest thing I'd ever, ever read. And I was like, absolutely, let's do this. And, uh, and we started going the traditional route and talking to different production companies and studios. And you know, doing that for a while, we sort of got the impression that they didn't get this, this world, you know, what we're here doing today and how the, how the fans are. And you'd get comments like, oh, oh, those nerds. Like, but they would say it in a negative way. You know, you know what I mean? They're dying out. I promise yeah. they are. No, I, and, uh, that sounds like a threat. It's not. It's just an aging thing. And 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 they and they would be like, oh, oh, my kid goes to those and stuff like that. But they would they didn't get the essence of what it was. So we sort of just decided to do it on our own. We knew the fan base. Uh, we went and talked to them directly and said, listen, we want to make this. Will you help us? And uh, they came out in droves. Yeah, didn't you not? Didn't you break records? We are the, the we hold the record of the most money ever raised for a web series across all platforms. And for those listening who are not familiar, so Con Man is very loosely based, shall we say, on Alan's experiences uh, having been on Firefly. Yeah, uh, and and his experiences then going to conventions, and and it is a very funny takedown of yeah. that of that experience with Nathan Fillion playing a thinly veiled version of. Nathan Fillion, uh, it is hilarious. Yeah, thin is the right word. Thin. And and so you, and you just said it. Now it's based on novels that you, or the, the show within the show is based on novels, a universe that you had already. Yeah, developed. it's not based on it. It's it's a parallel universe. Then they collide. They pick up some characters, and okay. Spectrum has its own storyline, but they share the villain, the good versus evil story, and uh, it's an adult series where the Softwire is more of a YA series. I was going to ask that. Okay, yeah. so so software. There's is it a trilogy. There's four books. Four. It's okay. about a group of kids that get orphaned in outer space and sold as slaves to aliens. Okay, it's a little pick me up. But that's what kids love. And, and love that. Which is the weird thing. I mean, maybe we can talk about that for just a second from your own writing. There, why is that? Kids are are devouring that right now. They're eating that up. You know, a lot of the stuff, and although people call it cliche, it's the idea of what a kid, the decisions that they get to make on their own when their parents aren't involved. You know, young kids, even I see my own, wanting so hard to find out who they are and stretch their own identity. And they read these books where there's kids that they sort of admire making decisions without being told. So I think it's at that age group where they see the potential of their own decision-making powers and the bad, you know, the consequences that come from that. Uh, so I think that kind of intrigues them that they okay. want to read that, those sort of stories. I don't know. That's my own okay. uneducated oh, guess. Sorry, right. we wanted to get a little deeper yeah. for a yeah. second. Now yeah. let's get back to Con Man, which is that uh, so you worked on it as a director producer. And how much, because I watched it recently, and some of the jabs are pretty savage, and there are a couple of moments 
I'm like, I, I, I can't believe that they're making this joke. Which one? There's a lot of I, I don't want to say because yeah. I don't want people coming after me. Um, were there things that, you know, went, we've gone too far? Or that there are moments of just like, I can't believe we're doing this? Um, there is some stuff you would never saw that I'm trying to get around. There's a scene between uh, Nathan and Michael Trucco from uh, Battlestar Galactica where you see a little bit of it on the TV screen at Jack Moore's house where Nathan gets, uh, Jack Moore gets pulled over by the cop and uh, uh, Officer Ricketts and this hilarity ensues where next thing you know that Nathan's chasing Truco's character with the gun and their car is being stolen and it's just all hell breaks loose. It's hilarious. But too far, I mean, no, nothing went too far. <laughs> we, our only objective was to not piss off the fans. You know, we love the fans. We love the fan love. The fans are why it happens. Um, Joss Whedon, you know, when he read it, he goes, good, you know, make sure you don't, don't make fun of the fans. And uh, we don't. Every time it appears that he's gone too far with the fans, Ray Nearly, something happens to well, him. Well, he's always punished. He yes. always is punished for it. So when he does do that, and he does do it, when he does do it, he pays in spades for that. Like, he really pays for that. Yeah, yeah. So what then led to doing a comic of it? And you're being published by a longtime friend of Fanboy Planet, Frank Better. Yeah, oh, yeah. At uh, good automatic friend of mine. publishing. Very good friend yeah, of so mine. We've you know, been friends with Frank for a long time. So how did that... Is it because you guys were friends and you just said, hey, I want to do a comic book? So, you know, it's my way of doing projects. I've always believed that if you're going to do an entertainment product nowadays, you have to look at it as a vertical brand. And if you try to do it in a linear fashion, you end up getting all these partners along the way. The rights get tied up. Everything gets messy. And then if a studio walks in, they're going to take the universe on you. So I was determined not to let that happen. So as the campaign of Indiegogo kept going, I slowly started adding in the different IP rights. And uh, it's the way I did it. We do it with everything. And projects I have coming up, I'm doing the exact same thing with it. And that way we, own, we control the creative aspect of the universe. And then uh, there was the comic books, the books, the video game. The video game looks great. I can show you what the video game looks like. It's There's fun. a video game? Dude. Do you want to see the video I game? I do want to see the video uh, game. It's great on an audio podcast. Yeah, so. be, uh, uh, you need to, you're going to describe everything I, I can. I can see. So look at So there's All your right, fan so goers. Like a little Sims thing going yeah. on. Oh, yeah. It's a yeah. convention for you got to build your convention up. And so here's the... There's your booths. You got to pick your booths. You oh, so your, you can totally booths or, oh, yeah, your own convention from scratch. And you got to invite your VIP people, and they come. You got to sign them up. You got to take your garbage out. You got to do your toilets. I am stuff. terrified by how uh, potentially addicting this could be to oh, certain nerds. And then, so what happens is, is the aliens of Spectrum come in and start ripping up your booth, and you have to get cosplayers and equip them with weapons to battle okay, them. So all. there's fighting. Okay. So there's fighting as well. So and there's and some very interesting. Did Easter Steve eggs. Wozniak use this to plan this yes, convention? That's it, right. Yes, it's also have the planning app. So we're really excited about that. So and when the availability of that? App? That will be to come out uh, globally on uh, Comic Con, yeah, yeah, San Diego Comic Con. Con and the game. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So how about the, so the all comic that itself? came out? So the comic was the the important because it was the it was the story of Spectrum so uh, the, the comic and the books so we uh, that was the first thing that crowdfunded past the web series and uh, we got great people like Sarah Stone involved in doing the art and mm-hmm. Shannon Denton is editing for us um, and it's uh, and then when it you know, I didn't know. I knew Frank had done comic books, great comics. I had her M comic books. Oh, we love those. And, uh, 
and I had just called up Free Comic Book Day. I just submitted an application with no publisher, no nothing. And I was just, says Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion's comic book, and we got accepted for Free Comic Book Day. And then they come back and we go, who's your publisher? I don't know, we are. And it was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You can't just get into Free Comic Book Day without a publisher. So I called. I what called, you don't know doesn't hurt you, clearly. Yeah. I, called, I called Frank, and Frank came to the rescue and buttoned everything up and made us legit. Well, and I think at a perfect time for him. He's been, you know, his novels, they're expanding. Out. Yeah, everything's he's doing things that are him. not just by him. And he's a great guy, and he really <clears throat> wanted yeah. to help. And he's got some, uh, some of his cosplayers are in Con Man and the, in, in, the, in the cosplay scene. Have you ever gone, like, downhill skiing with, with Frank? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for years we used to go to Vail together. He's <laughs> okay. pretty crazy. There's, my wife doesn't like to ski, and Frank's trying to teach her how to ski, and she says to Frank, yeah, get on, um, says Marisa, get on my back. And Frank takes her down this little hill, goes off a bump. There's a 360 with Marisa on her back, and then Marisa's scared out of her mind, grabs him by the neck, choke holds him, pulls him all the way back, and he still sticks it. <laughs> That guy is he's a, amazing. He's a genius. He's a, he's a story in himself. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He's awesome. So then after this, so what's next for you? You've got this game coming out in, in, in uh, will it be a season two of Comic? Yeah, we start shooting season two June 1st. And we've we're, got the Spectrum series in development. And uh, and uh, I've got other projects I'm looking at, getting those off the ground in a similar fashion. And uh, just lots and lots of good stuff coming. Well, excellent. And we look forward to hearing about that. We look, we... We'll be at least seeing you, maybe from a distance, waving from the back of the store on May 11th. You're yes. going to be up signing with Alan yep. at Elusive Comics and Games, 2725 El Camino Real, Suite 104, nice. in Santa Clara, California. Um, so, that, you know, that's, that's excellent. We'll see you back up here in May. That would be great. Okay. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We're looking forward to what happens next. And, of course, Spectrum the Comic, the first full issue comes out for free on Free Comic Book Day, which is May the 6th. I'm going with it. Uh, it's the first <laughs> Saturday of May. Sounds good to me. It sounds good to you. Uh, anyway. It was fun uh, leading course, him all the way to the back of the uh, auditorium <laughs> that to find a place to record. <laughs> I, I thought we should go out the back windows and find a, dun- a dumpster somewhere. Sure, that up. it would have been, the, not as we know, the, not the first time we've done that. Uh, and, of course, P.J., uh, editor Shannon Eric Denton and uh, Alan Tudyk will all be appearing at Elusive Comics and Games on Wednesday, May 11th. Now, do that math backwards from the 11th, and that's where we'll get what Free Comic Book Day is. Uh, the next interview uh, had was with uh, a writer, comics writer, and game writer named uh, Stephen Elliott Altman, who uh, this is one, again, I, I love a convention where I learn about new things. I, have you seen? <laughs> this is sadly. My connection to this uh, series, despite uh, finding out that, like, actually I knew the producer and I've just never noticed on the History Channel, the show Ancient Aliens. I have seen the meme on Facebook with Giorgio, the guy with the hair that looks like he's from Babylon 5. And he's on a Taco Bell commercial as well. Uh, and I did, oh, not, yes. I did not know what he was from until I talked to Steve Altman about Ancient Aliens, the game, which is going to be on all your, uh, you know, the 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 tablets and mobile phones, devices. mobile devices, and on Facebook. So even so, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast right here, right now, in this interview, you will get an invitation to the beta with the password 
to play Ancient Aliens the Game. Uh, now, it's a city-building game with aliens and ancient Egypt, and I've been playing around with it, and it's kind of fun. So even though when you said you want to play it, and I said, you know, I'm really not a good gamer, but it is kind of fun to be able to take a few minutes out of each day and check on my uh, on my alien outpost. And uh, so, but he'd also written for Dark Horse uh, a book called, uh, or a comic book called The Irregulars about uh, the street urchins who assist Sherlock Holmes and are secretly the masterminds behind all the crime solving. So I, I do remember that series. I, I had to pick it up. I have to go, go back and check that out. Uh, but so a comic book writer, video game writer, I'm sure many other things. Novelist, uh, Stephen Elliott Altman. We are here at the lovely Fairmont uh, for still, I keep still wanting to be saying uh, Big Wild Comic Fest, but you never made it. Have you ever been to the, the show it was before? No, no. no this is my okay. first so my first WazCon. The WazCon, which would have been, you know, let's, let's come out and call it that. But it's a Silicon Valley Comic Con, and I'm, I'm sitting here with Stephen Elliott Altman, who is a writer uh, of games, uh, also, novels, comic books, whatever they pay me for, I'll write it. All right. Well, I'll get back to comics then, because that's the main focus of how we got involved in doing all this stuff. Um, but you've got, uh, we're here because within the next two weeks, or a week and a half, really, we've lost all tra- track of time on the third day of a convention. Uh, you are uh, responsible for the Ancient Aliens game. Which genre would we call this? This is a... Is it science fiction or well, is it no, science no, fact? Yeah. That's the question of ancient <laughs> aliens, isn't it? It's, uh, are, have we been visited by aliens in our ancient past or have we not? Right. And But my game is really exploring as uh, furthering the ancient aliens franchise, what if it were true? So we're going with the assumption of what if it were true. So because we're saying what if it were true, I guess we have to call it science fiction for now. So well, yeah, I, I mean it's a game. So this is on Facebook. It's on the uh, smartphone apps and uh, so forth. So, iOS and Android, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it is you just mentioned based on the franchise from the History Channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I was really grateful to you. You received my very uh, honest reaction on Friday night when we met, and you showed me the video. And I was like, oh, that's who that guy with the hair is. Because Giorgio, yeah, Giorgio. Giorgio. We put him. We put him in the game. At first, we were doing the game, and we didn't know if we should put Giorgio in there as one of the experts. But he's really become the face of the show. He's the meme that says aliens, and everyone knows. So we thought it was really important to make him a character and put him into the game. And so we went to him and said, "Do you want to be in the game?" And he said, "Yeah." And we we did artwork of him, and he approved it. And then he was so helpful, and just he was so humbled and excited to be part of the, of the video game. And it's really, as you see, when he's in the game, your fans can't see it; they're listening to no. us. But when they play the game. It's really nice to have Giorgio as an expert guiding you through the Ancient Aliens game. It does feel familiar. It has become a character. Like I said, I've seen that meme. I saw that Taco Bell commercial. And I'm like, okay, so who is he? <laughs> um, but now you've explained. But the premise of Ancient Aliens, the show, is where we visited. Is, is that In our remote past. There's a, there are a lot of... Uh, technological achievements that we can't quite explain, I guess the chief of which would be the the last remaining wonder of the ancient world, which is the Great Pyramid of Khufu. It's just humans couldn't have just built that on their own without some some technological assistance. We believe our, our construction people today don't believe they could have built that that pyramid. So it does suggest that in our ancient past, as just one of the elements that are explored on the show, that we were indeed assisted by extraterrestrials. 
So then the History Channel came to you and saying, let's develop a game with this? Or did you say, you have an idea? How does this work? How do you get to be a writer on one of these things? It's, you know, it, it, every game is a little different. Sometimes a, a company approaches you and they don't have a game yet and you're, you're pitching them ideas on how to make their intellectual property of a show into a game. Um, but in this particular case, which is more common than not, they'd already built the rough mechanics of the game and they didn't have a story and they didn't have a direction. They just had some game mechanics. And then it happens a lot in the game world that, that the, the story, the narrative design is often an afterthought where they go, oh, wow, we really need a, a story and how do we tie this back to the show? So in this particular case, uh, Amy already had the, the basic um, characteristics of the game and they wanted me to come in and, uh, and tell a story that said, who are we? Why are we here? What are the missions that we go on? Sort of a, a, a candy wrap around the whole thing that makes, made this unique and, uh, and tie into the show. So it begins, we, we watched through this, uh, you're in a lecture hall with Giorgio. Yeah, that, sort of a TED Talk with Giorgio giving you a lecture on ancient aliens. And uh, and, and then he, uh, so how do we get back in time? So I know we end up becoming a hybrid between alien and human. And right. And we're playing as that. Yeah, so, so, so uh, I knew that we had to go back to ancient Egypt, and I wanted uh, the experts from the show to tie in, who are, of course, from our present time. So how do I mix the... the the, our time with a- ancient Egypt times. So we had Giorgio propose that he hypnotize you and past life regress you uh. as a member of the audience back in time to your past life in ancient Egypt. So you wake up in ancient Egypt and uh, without spoiling too much to add insult to injury, not only are you back in ancient Egypt, but you get abducted uh, uh, by aliens. Okay. And then since they're trying to save their world and they're going to help us save our world from a terrible catastrophe, they, uh, they turn you into an, uh, an alien hybrid. And the reason I did that was because now when you're playing as a hybrid, half-human, half-alien, you're kind of caught dramatically between the needs of the humans, the primitive humans at the time, and the, uh, the goals of the aliens who are trying to save two worlds, who, you know, were so primitive they, they're barely giving us any notice, but they're basically using us as a worker class uh, to help build the Great Pyramid of Khufu. So it is a game that the mechanics look a lot on the surface, like uh, aside from your story, as you were showing, pointing out to me, like Farmville, and it's it, I don't know what we call that. That's called it's game. a city builder. That's, That's a city, city builder, builder game. A city builder game. So you're building ancient Egypt, uh, and then the aliens are interfering, and you're evolving characters, and uh, as you, you had me evolve a worker into a minotaur. Uh, because minotaurs carry more or, stones than humans, oh they're no, stronger. Oh, as, as you know, yeah, I, I'm not challenging your logic. <laughs> is that an element of the show, or the, is that one of the things that the show says is well, that, these, that these creatures must have existed? Well, uh, okay. So Sitchin, who the ancient alien theory was based on, um, who do, do, who transcribed a lot of Sumerian. Um, writings, which is the earliest writing that mankind has, Mm -hmm. um, they talked about this alien race called the Anunnaki, and they supposedly came to Earth in our distant past, and because they needed gold for their home planet, apparently gold was needed uh, in a a planet's atmosphere to enable it to support life. So their atmosphere was thin, they needed gold, Earth was rich with gold, they came here to mine it, um, and they needed a, a worker class to help them mine it. So they evolved us... Um, into stronger workers. So the idea is that it, as they evolved us, they gave us all the technology that we have and brought us, you know, they made that, that leap. They're, like There is no missing link in humanity coming up from the apes because they evolved us to that to that degree. Um, and so I, we had a game here where that was using gold, so I followed that premise 
to, to make the story, the foundation for the game. And meanwhile, I, w- I watched eight series of the show to watch diff- all the different, you know, things that they came up with for for what would the different theories that they came up with, and I had to kind of cherry pick the the best ones to add as elements into the game. There you go. So you had to binge watch this, this yeah. show when you got involved. Well, it is a guilty pleasure. I mean, it, what, you watch Ancient Aliens, and the funny thing is, the more you watch it, the more you're like, yeah, this is definitely well, what happened. Know, when I was a kid, and I. Uh, I, I don't know if you're this old, but you know, remembering the In Search of, and I would watch that every every week. Yeah. There'd be my hosting that. I, I did too. Yeah, that was back in the '70s. So, um, you know, that's what you said. The more you watch, the more you believe. How much of this were you aware of before you got connected with this game? Not none of it. None of it. So, I, I, I really that what. Ancient Egypt wasn't a time period I had studied before. I mean, I've, I've studied the Greeks, basically, in classical literature in my work. So, uh, but I've always been a little bit fascinated with Egypt, kind of the basic fascination that everyone has with, with, with the pyramids. And I saw the King Tut exhibit, you know, when I was 11 yeah. years old, when I was traveling. Wow. But this just adds such a layer to it. So I think that's one of the brilliant things that the show and the History Channel have done is... Um, is bringing us back and giving us a flavor for that history above and beyond the fact that they're now saying, well, was there alien technology involved? And what the show does is, is really clever. It doesn't make any definitive statements. It just brings up questions. Could this happen? Could we have done this ourselves? Does it, doesn't this suggest that aliens were there? And, and they, the show basically lets you draw your own conclusions. So what I did, is, of course, is I thought... That's that's really exciting to mentally think. Did aliens come? But it wouldn't have made a very exciting game, would it? To just sit there watching Eric, expre- you know, question it, <laughs> just question it. So I had I had to take it a step for, oh. forward and say, yes, there were aliens. Yes, they were building the uh, the pyramid. One of the interesting things here is what was the pyramid for? You know, we archaeologists look at it and archaeologists look at it and say, I need another cup of coffee. Archaeologists look at the uh, the pyramids and they say, um, well, they were tombs. Unfortunately, we haven't found any bodies in the tombs so it doesn't really suggest they are they weren't really hiding bodies because you don't really hide a, a sarcophagus in a body in this giant marker would you that's not a very well hidden uh, object um, as far as hidden objects go so um, well they were grain silos for Joseph some people believe they were that's, that's a pretty darn big grain silo so like ancient alien theory believes these were hydrogen reactors some of the experts on the show believe this the great pyramid of Khufu was actually a hydrogen reactor so we take that into account in the game and we say you're building a hydrogen reactor to, which is going to be necessary to save the planet at the same time when you're talking to the villagers you call it a pyramid so it's kind of the, that dichotomy that paradox of keeping it to be both things well, at the right, same time because the, the primitive Egyptians aren't going to know that you know what a hydrogen reactor is all right um, so you know that's that, that's that's uh, very interesting um, and this is coming out I want to say March 30th this is going Which we're, yeah we're trying we're trying for March 30th we're, we're still we just submitted to the app store it's always very exciting to the Apple oh. store waiting for approval so there's a, we, we have a couple of things ready but the game is ready to play that we're already playing it on Facebook so it's going to launch on iOS and Android on your smartphones in 20 to 30 days um, but right now we are in uh, a closed beta test on Facebook but it is available, and I, as I promised you, I will make it available to uh, to fans of your podcast if they'd like to come in and, and play in our in our closed beta. All right. How will we how will we set that up? Well, on Facebook, I don't have the URL handy. We'll make sure that, that you include it. You know, maybe okay. to link to your podcast. Page, yeah. The URL there's an there's an ancient aliens community fan page on Facebook. So if your if your podcast uh, listeners go to ancient aliens community on Facebook and like the page. 
they're now members of that community. And on that page, the very first post uh, is a link to come into the game, which is going to ask you for a password. And that password, are you ready? I'm ready. It's Let's Play Ancient Aliens. So you type in Let's Play Ancient Aliens and you will immediately go into the latest build of the game and you can play. And we're also promising that every all of our beta testers who come in and play, your, not, your data isn't going to get wiped when we go live. You'll be able to keep uh, oh, okay, continuously cool. playing, and there's, since there's going to be some special rewards for our beta beta testers, it's actually a good idea that you get in there as soon as possible and come join the page. Oh. So I want to see our numbers on that page jump up, and in return, all of your viewers well, get to I'd come like, play the game. I'd like to have that happen too. So <laughs> people, this is the this is the time. You don't write into us, but but activate. Go ahead. Um, so and you said you've done some comics. So here you yeah. are, this comic which had begun. We still got Comic Con in the name. It's it's really interesting in the comic conventions because it's not really just about comics anymore. They've really, you know, tried to become transmedia outlets. So it's movies, TVs, comic books, coloring books. I mean, no, what is it? (laughs) I would say that. Coloring books. The transmedia is not a a phrase that, you know, trips lightly on the tongue for the casual fan, the person that's coming. The 35,000 that came yesterday, how many of them would know transmedia? That, well, that's true. Well, with trans, the basic idea behind transmedia is that you have an intellectual property. Yeah. You know, X-Men is an intellectual property. It's a comic book, and it, and it happens to have started as a comic book first, but it's a comic book. It's a movie franchise. It's a, it's a series of video games, coloring books. I mean, audio audiobooks. It's just the, the idea now is that By we... Way, comic book, uh, coloring books for both, adults and children. Yes, that's what's fascinating yes. to me. What, I mean, it, 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 the the industry has grown as our appetite has grown. When we have a favorite IP, we want it to go into as many formats as possible. And people like to absorb their entertainment in different ways. Some people, you know, are reading books. Some people are reading comic books. Some people just want to see the movie. So it makes sense that a, that a good IP will spread, you know, far and wide. And uh, the best content producers, if you're out there being a content producer, when you think up your idea now, you should be thinking, what is the comic book? What is the novel? What is the movie? And they can start in any different uh, field. I mean, when I come up with a new idea, I get hit with a, with a new concept. I start to think, is, should I start this as a novel first, write the book? Um, which is probably the fastest thing for me because I can do that alone, right? Mm-hmm. I can write a book and then yeah. send it off to the publisher. If it's a comic book, I have to collaborate with an artist. If it's going to be a, a movie script, I can write the script on my own, but then I have to option it, get a studio. That takes hundreds of people to write a movie. So it's all where do you want to start to have the initial uh, intellectual po- property. And being into transmedia um, is just like a, it's kind of like an envelope where you say, how does this fit into all these pe- different, uh, different slices of the pie? Mm-hmm. So, what which comics have you worked on? So that people maybe you know, I I wrote my 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 claim to fame was a graphic novel called The Irregulars, which is based on the uh, the six the six uh, ragamuffin street Arab kids who worked for Sherlock Holmes in Gaslamp London. And so, my writing partner at the time, Michael Reeves, and I made a, a oh, okay. yeah we made a um, Michael Reeves you might know from Interworld, which he just did with Neil Gaiman, and we and yeah. Neil and Michael and I did a, a book called Shadows Over Baker Street, and. Um, and uh, they're making. And by the way, they just made a contract to make Interworld into a television show. Michael's very excited about that. But Michael and I went to the Arthur Conan Doyle estate, and we got the rights to use these street Arab kids um, for Sherlock Holmes, called the Irregulars, um, which only appear in two Sherlock Holmes stories, and kind of make them front and center of the comic book. And basically, we say that all of Sherlock Holmes's cases were solved 
because of these kids. And Holmes and Watson were kind of in the background, kind of taking credit for everything that they did. Of course. Um, and that was for Dark Horse Comics. I haven't done any comics uh, since then. I've been really... I'm, I'm, I really started off as an author, but I've really just ended up in video games. Um, I, I just love gaming, and I love that I can tell an interactive story, you know, to, to 15 million people instead of to, you know, 5,000 people who buy a comic book. And so... And then, you know, you're on the message boards, so there's a lot of feedback back and forth with the... With the uh, with the players, and every now and again they catch something you did wrong. Hey, you spelled that wrong, or I got a I got a detail wrong. And be, in that digital world, I can go back and fix it and go, no, it's never wrong. I, I fixed it. No, take a look again. It's actually it's actually fixed. Where you can't do that in a novel. So that's kind of it's one of the best things for a writer is that you can go back in a digital medium and fix it. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for taking the time this morning, Steve. Such a pleasure. And again, uh, uh, we're going to put up uh, on your information website, I'd like to see all of you in-game, especially the fans of Ancient Aliens, because I, and more than anything else, I want to please the hardcore fans of the show that we that we did it right with, with making a game. Yeah, all right, Derek, thanks so much. Thank you. So once again, go to Facebook right now and follow Steve's instructions, and you can join the beta of Ancient Aliens, the game. Our uh, last, but certainly not least, interview from Silicon Valley Comic Con was with, uh, this was years in the making, uh, because uh, we've been friends on Facebook for years and had not met face-to-face until Silicon Valley Comic Con, and it's uh, writer Neo Edmond, who is a screenwriter, a producer, uh, a novelist, and is working in on a, series, uh, a bunch of VR projects, which sits uh, near and dear to my interest and my heart. Right now, but uh, he is uh, at the moment best known for his novel, uh, A Tale of Red Riding, Rise of the Alpha Huntress. I think it's I think the novel is actually Rise of the Alpha Huntress and then there will be a Red Riding series. So uh, it's kind of a it's a werewolf young adult uh, take on story of Little Red Riding Hood. but uh, certainly with a with a, one that will appeal more to the Divergent and Hunger Games crowd. Uh, so uh, glad we finally got a chance to talk to him. And he's with Wordfire Press, ladies and gentlemen, Neil Edmund. We're here at Silicon Valley Comic Con with writer. Do you have anything else in your title you'd like to add? Uh, Neil Edmund, writer, producer, writer, author, producer, producer screenwriter. All variations on writers. Geek. Except, except, oh, geek. Oh, geek. <laughs> Wear it proudly. All right. Yes, and, uh, sir. You are here at the Wordfire booth. I am. With your novel, uh, Rise of the... Well, how did you... Sorry. sorry Rise of the Alpha Huntress. That's actually the old poster. Sorry. Okay. It's Tale a Tale of Red Riding. Rise of the Alpha Huntress is the Wordfire title that we're right, going so with. And it's the first in the series of five. It's a young adult... Oh. Spin, or do you want to call it young adult? Do you like? Yeah, uh, it is. It falls in the category of young adult fantasy fiction. So, I mean, it's kind of that. That line is becoming fine because it's like, oh, the first book of Harry Potter is young adult, so it's the last book where they kill a lot of people, and then, and then Hunger Games is young adult, and they kill everybody. Well, they're really, you yeah, know, young so are definitely it, it's becoming but, you know, um, a fine line of what young adult is now. So, well, you know, and then there was this Scholastic had to rebrand Harry Potter, like so adults would read it. Yeah, like, exactly. It, it's tricky. So, I mean, but you know. The book has been enjoyed by young adults up to older adults and, <laughs> right. and everything in between. So, so it is a spin on Red Riding Hood. It is, yeah, an so action adventure version of Red Riding Hood with 
werewolves and witches and magic and motorcycles. Red Riding's a werewolf. She's returned to her hometown of Wayward. She's been away for a while, and she's rediscovering her powers. And she's supposed to rise up and become this this uh, person, this character called the Alpha Huntress that's supposed to defend Wayward from all of the terrible, evil things that are coming back um, through this uh, army of evil lichen werewolves and such. And then it's a lot of it is her struggling with her fate about is she intended to be the Alpha Huntress or did it did it happen by accident? And uh, there's a lot of that going on. And then you, uh, so what inspired you to start writing? Because you've been working around the entertainment industry for a while, mm-hmm. writing on, on various projects. What turned you novelist? Uh, I, that's a really interesting question. I don't know. Um, I was, you know, I was writing a lot of comics, a lot of, you know, screenplay, script doctoring a lot and stuff. And um, I just saw everybody around me writing novels and doing well. And it just was like, eh, maybe that's something I'll try and see if I can do. And I didn't really even know if I could successfully do it. And if anybody would even like it when I published well, it. Well, then the awkward question so, as a, you know, I, we're all our own work, work right? Experience, right? Did, were you successful as a novelist? Do you uh, feel good? <laughs> uh, well, apparently, I mean, Wordfire Press picked up the book, so that's a good sign. And people keep coming back telling me they like it and are asking for another one. So that's, uh, I mean, those are good signs. Well, let's talk about that as a publishing model. We, we, we uh, what about it? You had self-published yeah, this originally? originally, yeah. And... You know, I, at a show like this, especially, I'm seeing you know, delivery models are changing. The yes. old ways are just not—they're not what they were. It is absolutely correct. So, what was your path here? Wordfire seems to have a model of they're waiting for you to build a fandom, um, a following, and then they'll pick you up and get even larger. Or I—I I mean, I think the authors come to them in a lot of different ways. But for me, when I originally published it, it was like, well. Let's see how it goes. So, and the Amazon thing was really blowing up at the time. It was about two years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just wanted to see how people would react to it and see if I could build a brand and see if, you know, see if I'm even good at writing a novel, you know? Um, Which so, you just established you are. So, okay, okay yeah. well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it's a matter of, you know, I think now, right nowadays, it's like if you can build a brand or at least prove that there's a brand there or a product, and then take it to, you know, the publisher, it really helps. So. Because this is another one. Um, you've also got Andy Weir here with The Martian. Yeah. So you, uh, you know, but, but I mean, that's, that's yeah. another got one who self-published. Yeah, he did. Got so. all the way to the Oscars. Yeah, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he went from self-published blog to book to, um, you know, to bestseller and then movie and, you know. Uh, he was great. He was here yesterday at the booth and he was just super nice and he was having so much fun. So, is Alpha Huntress in transmedia play? Is I am. Working? Yeah, I'm working on some stuff right now. I so, watch it to yeah, well, a couple of different things. So, um, working on a, a series development thing right now with a, a European financing company okay. uh, called Reverse Engineering with my manager Sarah Kinga. So, um, she's pushing it really through hard, and we're actually working with a, a, doing a potential VR development on it. So, which is a whole new space, you know, that everybody's trying to figure out. And I fell in with a couple of different VR companies. I've been doing some development with them. And actually just learning how VR even works. Yeah, and, so tell, and we're yeah. trying to figure out VR storytelling, and it's a whole challenge. Yeah, what so, have been the... You can give a couple specifics on the challenges. I know you don't, can't talk about the properties. Right. Well, I mean, the challenges for one is, you know, delivery method. Like, how do you tell a story in VR? Do you, you know, do you tell a whole huge story all at once? Do you break it down into pieces, you know? And then a lot of it even has to do with, like, 
the space you're dealing with. You're in a three-dimensional environment. People can move around in it, but they can't move around too much because, you know, the technology, you can't have somebody walking around a room with a, with a mask over their face that they can't see anything because then they're walking into walls and tripping and there's all sorts of problems like that. I think there's a great economy uh, in the service of having somebody be like a service walker. Yeah. You know, be there to make sure they don't fall. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, right now, I mean, a lot of when somebody has a, in a, is having a VR experience, there's somebody standing next to them, you mm-hmm. know, guiding them through it. So, and just making sure, yeah, they're not tripping or falling or anything. Are there limitations in time? That's something that, I mean, you know, because I know years ago, like Douglas Trumbull had his show scan mm-hmm. where you couldn't show it for more than a half half an hour oh. before people would get headaches and there were there were physiological reactions yeah. and what I've seen in VR has been like five minutes tops yeah some people five minutes tops for me I've I've played around in it and I've played around in stuff for a half hour even an hour okay when we're doing development and stuff and but I grew up as a gamer so I mean I think that's something that'll be interesting to deal with like video game people who play a lot of video games are probably more inclined to that type of motion you know, because yeah. like people who have never played video games before, they'll suddenly pick up an Xbox, and a lot of people will get dizzy. You know, they'll still try to play Call of Duty or something. They're like, I'm so dizzy. What's going on? Yeah. You know, and they'll. So I mean, and then you know, there's a lot of issues with glasses, and you know, there's so many things. So, yeah. um, but it's really the biggest challenge is like figuring out how to use that space. You know, yeah. it's a spatial issue, and um, but it's really fun to be part of it, and. I'm, so excited to see where it goes. I mean, we're we're going to be up Ready Player One, you know, soon, and yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens to people who never want to leave their house ever. Because like you take off that VR helmet, and they already exist. You take off that VR helmet after being in a totally different, awesome place, yeah. and then you're like, oh, the world's really boring. Like you know, it's all grays, you know, yeah, colors. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's all, all reality. So almost afraid for the next generation. Yeah. So once they have something like a World of Warcraft in virtual reality, who knows what the world's going to be like? So yeah. it'll be really fascinating. So. Yeah. So what's your schedule for getting the, the next Red Riding? Um, it's going out to the uh, editor the first week of April. Oh, the so second very book. Close. So, and then however long it takes us to go through the editorial process. So, right. I guess it really depends on how well I did with the draft. <laughs> <laughs> so, if the editor comes back to me with a mountain of notes or with uh, like some tweaks, so we'll see. All right. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to it. Thanks awesome. a lot. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Great guy. All of our interviews. Uh, have been great that's what i love i you know i we were just talking about the crowd at silicon valley comic-con i i approach these things now where i'm i I get like oh i just don't know do i have the strength for this uh and 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 then i have great conversations like that and it just energizes me and goes that's right that's why i do this because i like to meet these people and to talk to them about about what's got them excited and they get me excited about uh, comics and books and movies and everything again. So even though, you know, sometimes the end of a week, you just want to sleep. But they brought me back to life. So thank you all. Of course, and, it, and, and in the, um, I, I'm sorry, I, I was not trying to wait until we were done to bring this up, but in the interest of those people who are getting an aneurysm screaming at uh, the podcast, as we know there are several every week, we have fatalities, I apologize. It is true. Um we were both right about the Tarzan books. So there were 24 standard Tarzan books. Aha! But there was a 25th, which was a combination of two Tarzan young adult books written by, or uh, what they, what we say they were called, Juvenile Adventure, written by Burroughs. The Tarzan, Tarzan Twins. Which 
Ah, here's where it crosses over to my other. I happen to have that in big little book form. There you go. You know, it was the 26th. No. The novel Tarzan and the Valley of Gold, which was made into the movie. Okay. And then the last, the 27th was Tarzan. The Lost Adventure. The Lost Adventure. All right. Which I can't remember who finished that because that wasn't Edgar. I mean, it was found in his notes, but somebody else finished it up. Yeah, George Lansdale. Ah, of course, of course. You can, by the way, that one I know. If you go back and find our Comic-Con interview with Michael Mike Richardson, the publisher of Dark Horse, he talks at length about that Yeah, and, and his pride in having brought that project. And again, as I've mentioned before, Dark Horse is not getting enough credit for keeping the Tarzan fire alive. And, and honestly, uh, no one's countered me on this, I believe, getting Warner Brothers interested in... Uh, in producing the Tarzan film. I've been enjoying the hell out of the, the Sunday single page comic books that they've put out. The, the, the hardbound way oversized. uh, Is that dark horse or is that another, I uh, believe that's dark horse as well. Okay, um, it's not her, yeah, that's that, not, that, that is dark horse. Cause the first time I saw them was in the dark horse, dark horse booth at Comic-Con. So. Alrighty. Then there we go. All right. So, of course, if what we've just talked about, all these books, uh, I guess really all these books uh, have, have gotten you interested and you'd like to purchase them, of course, you can use the handy-dandy Amazon link that will be there on the on the fanboyplanet.com page. Of course, now I'm doing all of this out of order, uh, which is, of course, you can also, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, you can please subscribe, please rate us, review us, and tell your friends. You can do the same on the Stitcher app. You can also uh, find us at, at fanboyplanet.com where that Amazon link is. And as well, that's if you can't find these products at your local brick-and-mortar store. Uh Whichever, which you notice, I, I, I've also, you know, if you don't know uh, where your local comic shop is, you can use comicshoplocator.com and type in your address or your zip code, I guess, and they will lead you to where in your in your area you can go and find these books. If you can't there, then use the Amazon link. And also, of course, if you are enjoying these podcasts and what we do and like to help kick in for the cost of hosting, Please, there's a PayPal link on the Fanboy Planet page as well, where you can just donate a couple of dollars, uh, you know, and we and, would appreciate and you really that. Ought, you ought to go to the site itself, because there's a ton more news about the things you love, things you want to read about. We really ought to, ought to cover what, what's been up there recently. I mean... Oh, well, I should, uh, I should look, um, because it's been sort of, you know, I know we go into this sort of... Uh, you know, feast or famine sometimes when, when work gets busy because our unofficial motto, don't quit your day job. But in the last week, I mean, you've got you've got video of the Silicon Valley Comic Con opening ceremony. we got a review of Batman v Superman, Donna Justice. We've got the trailer for Power Season 2. You got uh, We've got the DC Rebirth sneak peek at uh, WonderCon in Los Angeles. And later tonight, I'm going to have up, uh, I had a friend who was there. He's got pictures and, a, and an insight of the difference between going to WonderCon and the L.A. Convention Center and Anaheim. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but uh, I'm going to tout it now. Uh, Kevin Mosteller, uh, who's a friend of Michal, Simons, uh, we miss Michal, who's coming back to the U.S., so maybe we'll get some stuff from Michal again. Can I tell uh, you a secret about that article? You won't find a higher resolution picture. Uh, oh, that's not the article I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, yeah, I moved on. I'm sorry. I don't know that people will, will – I wish that I was there to get that print. 
Oh, that print was uh, that print is beautiful, but the the picture that they published oh. of it is much lower resolution than what we have on our website, because I was doing um, super high resolution screen caps of the of what they broadcast, which ended up being like twice the resolution of what they published on their site. So if you go to our site, you can see a much better picture of what they released than you can see anywhere else. And my God, look at all the tags on that. I was just looking in there. Oh, you asked act- me to do tags, so I did tags. We, we, accident, uh, we accidentally left a reference to Anaheim in there when it wasn't Anaheim this year. Um, but it will be Anaheim next year. They did announce that, and they're moving it away from uh, from Easter. So I'm I'm really glad of that because now I don't feel like I have to you know, make difficult choices and leave my family crying. Um I don't believe me, my ch- but this does mean I can take my kids uh, or my son. I don't think my daughter will care next year. But uh, in addition, we're trying. I'm working my way through the through the yes. rebirth announcements. Uh, we've got a great the I should say the most read already in one day cheap game review. Oh my god! <laughs> of all time, <laughs> Hustle Cat. Uh, <laughs> I read when, that when Budiak told me last week. That this was the game he was going to review next, we both laughed, <laughs> and I said, "This isn't real." And he said, "No, it is." <laughs> so, uh, it's great. Uh, and then we're, I'm working my way through some of the uh, announcements today because I don't want to give all the love to DC, though I do want to give all the love to DC. But uh, there's other things happening with Image and Marvel that we'll have up in the next couple of days as well. Uh, and again, Bat Alexander Manelton absolutely worth taking the four to five minutes to watch that uh and um and enjoy the mashup between hamilton and i guess just the batman mythos but it it also brings in batman v superman it's a very clever video so there's a lot going on and if there's anything else that you want to talk about you've got questions comments compliments commentary criticism write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com thank you so much for listening uh You've been with us so far. Keep it up. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use Use your your powers powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.